0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here's this week's message. Now, I would also, I hate to, to bring this up, but I would kind of be remiss in my calling as a pastor. Uh, I know we're here to celebrate uh, Jesus Christ but I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention all stuff in the stuff and the rioting that went on in Ferguson. And um, it, it, it's crucial because there was one, loss of life. Anytime there's loss of life, that's not a good thing. It's not something to argue over. It's not something to take sides over. It should be something that breaks our hearts anytime, any situation when there is loss of life because it breaks God's heart. Right. There was also loss of uh, trust uh, in a community between those in charge and governing authorities, and that's never a good thing. That never moves towards a positive uh, situation. Uh, there was also loss of control as, as people inside the community and outside the community erupted in violence and all this kind of stuff. And um, I, I, not to belabor this, but uh, despite what people think, okay, it's not a race issue. It's not a civil issue. It is a sin issue. If you are a Christ follower, or let me put it this way, from God's perspective, God's not looking down and saying, oh, it's one race against another race. God's not looking down and saying, oh, it's a civil issue, civil authorities against those they're supposed to govern. God's looking down and saying, these are people who are dealing with sin. And that's why he sent his son to give his life so that we wouldn't have to. And the anger and the frustration and all that stuff, I I get it. But from God's perspective, he's looking and he's saying, there's a dead boy, whether he was a criminal, whether he was whatever, he died possibly. We don't know, but God knows what the situation is. But he died, and it's possibly apart from Christ. There's a a policeman who uh, we don't know what the circumstances were, But whatever they were, he's going to have to live with the consequences of his actions. And whether or not he stands before a grand jury, someday he's going to have to stand before a sovereign judge and give an account for what he did. And until then, he's going to have to live with it for the rest of his life. And there are people now who are waking up, looking at their community, their city, their homes, their businesses, and they're saying, was it worth all of this? Because now they have no way of making money, no jobs to go to. I mean, there are some places, but if your business was destroyed, the people you employed and you are now in a dire situation. And it's heartbreaking, and that's why I get, let me move on. I get it, but that's why it's great that we're looking forward to the birth of Christ and celebrating Christmas. Am I the only happy Christmas person? I know Victoria's not, but that's because. I think the ban on Christmas music has been lifted. Are we good now? We're good. Okay, we're good now. Okay. But um, we also should be looking forward to the return of Christ. I mean, I want to celebrate the birth of Christ. I love the Christmas season. I've been listening to Christmas music since February. Every now and then, you just turn it on and get you in that happy, happy, joy, joy place, uh, and you just I, I just love it. I, I love the season. I love when people start getting you know, nice and happy and giving stuff and all that kind of thing and presents and brickle, pies, all the food. But I love it. But as much as I am looking forward to celebrating the birth of Christ and Christmas and all that it brings... I am like literally ecstatic and I don't know when it's going to come, but hopeful for the return of Christ because it will be much more powerful and impacting and worth celebrating than the birth of Christ, which is no small feat. I mean, if there's anything that could top the birth of Christ, it will literally be the return of Christ. So here's here's what I want to do this morning. I want to I um, talk about the return of Christ, which... We should treat it as coming soon. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us don't think about it day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, when is Christ coming back? We, we just don't. It's not in our mindset. But yet, in the early church, they consistently, regularly kind of woke up with the expectation, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Like, your kids are going to wake up on, you know— one more day till Christmas, one more day till Christmas. That's how they looked at the birth of Christ. So if you have a Bible, take it out. Turn to the book of 2 Peter and just hold, hold your finger in 2 Peter because I'm going to put some other verses up on the screen. Then we're going to settle in 2 Peter, all right? But here's what um, John writes. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, now this is Jesus talking, and this is what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's talking to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, he was talking to them about a a common custom, all right? We don't have this custom so much today, but just a few, a generation and a half ago, it was a similar custom. Because the custom was when someone gets married that the the parents would say, hey, you're getting married, you're bringing a a wife or spouse or whatever, if it's a husband or if it's a daughter, into our family. We want to bring them into our home, welcome them into our family. So we're just going to, if they could do it, add on a room for you guys on the house. All the married couples said amen. But they added on a room or if they had enough land they would say, hey, take 20 paces that way, and we're going to build you a brand new house for you and your spouse there on our property. And and the idea was that on this land that I own or in this house that I own, I am adding you to my family, so I'm adding you to the place where I live so that we can be together as a family. And so Jesus uses that analogy when he talks to his disciples. and He says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you because in my father's house there are many rooms Literally, buildings or dwelling places. Dwelling places is probably a better translation. There are many dwelling places because he's telling them, Hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're going to be added to my family. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I'm going to take you to that place and we're going to spend eternity together. So Jesus tells them, as John records, Hey, I'm going away, but I'm coming back for you. I'm going to bring you to where I am, and we're going to spend eternity together. Now, we're about to celebrate about in a couple of weeks, about to celebrate Christmas, birth of Christ. And there are over, over, well over, depending on which you talk, who you talk to, 300 plus verses in the Old Testament that foretold and talked about the birth of Christ. That's a lot. There are over, well over 1,000 verses that talk about the second coming of Christ. Now, now think about this. God is not uh, required to repeat himself to us. Okay? He's God. He doesn't have to. But if he says something and repeats it through his word over 1,000 times, How many people think that's kind of important, then, that we should probably pay attention? Yeah. All right? Now, think about this, because I know um, parents, when you tell your kids something, if you have to tell them two or three times, it's a little frustrating, because that means they didn't get it. And I don't know about you, but you may do the, you know, hey, before you go to bed, make sure you turn off the TV and turn off all the lights. And then you'll come out again and pretend you're doing something else, because you want to remind them, before you go to bed, turn off the TV and turn off all the lights. And then you will come out again for whatever reason, usually just to make sure they understand, turn out, turn off the TV, turn off all the lights. What do you find when you wake up? TV blaring, all the lights on, everything going, PS3 in the middle of the floor, you know, soda everywhere. But, but the point is you want to reiterate to them because you would hope that about the third, fourth, or fifth time that they would get it, right? I mean, that's what we hope as parents. So if God takes the time, I mean, it's one thing when Jesus says, verily, 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 I say unto you, uh, to me that says, okay, let me me pay attention to whatever he's about to say. It's probably pretty important. But if he says something over 1,000 times, it's probably significant. We should take note, and we should pay attention to it. Not only that, we should teach our children, hey, I'm not sure if you understand this, but this is something we should probably take note of and pay attention to and teach to them because if God is going to take the time to say something a thousand times, it must mean something. Now, now look at this. Look at this. I want to take a brief look at a portion of Scripture very familiar to some of you, maybe not so familiar to some. Uh, I'm not going to walk through the whole passage. How many have ever read through Matthew 24? Yeah, talks about Jesus' second coming. I just want to read a small portion of it before we jump into some more text. Uh, And this is what it says. Matthew 24, verse 1, not verse 16. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So pretty much, let me, let me put this in perspective. If this were us today, all right, and Jesus were here today, and we were kind of hanging out with him downtown at the point, and the fountain, and we're like all this stuff, and we would say, "Wow, you know, hey Jesus, check out the, the the Heinz Field over there. Check out PNC Park. Check out the museum." And if he were to say, "Hey, look, you know what? Those are nice, but there's coming a time when all of this, meaning all of these buildings that we think are so awesome and great, all of them are going to be torn down." They're all going to be destroyed. Not one stone of those buildings will be left on another. Not one seat will be left. People will probably come take the seats as gifts. But anyway, not one seat would be left in, in the stadium. And then he, they said, well, tell us. And they asked three significant questions. They came to him and said, hey, we want to make sure we understand this. They asked first, when will this happen? That this is all these buildings be torn down, the destruction of Jerusalem. When is this going to occur? I mean, if if God told you your city, your town, your community is going to be torn down, destroyed, you might want to know when or what to look for. And then they asked the second question, what will be the sign of your coming? They understood Jesus was coming back because they said, what will be the sign of your coming? And the third question, and of the end of the age. Now, a lot of people put the two together and say that, It's one question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And this is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong if you want to, but I don't see it that way because if the two were synonymous then they would say, what will be the sign of your coming? We don't need to ask about the end of the age because we know when you come that's the end of the age. They didn't say it that way because they likely, in my opinion, saw the two things as separate. Three questions. When is this going to happen? When is the destruction of Jerusalem? You just told us all these buildings are getting thrown down? When? What will be the sign? Now, they didn't ask, when are you coming? But they asked, what will be the sign? What's going to precede? What things are we going to see before you appear? And then the sign of the end of the age. Now, this is is pretty cool. I don't want to spend a lot of time... um, on going through all of Matthew 24, because that's not really my focal point this morning. But I I, I do want to ask this, because if Jesus is coming back, then whilst we are waiting for him, what should we be doing? I mean, if Jesus made it clear, and he gives, uh, throughout the word of God, there's like over a thousand, depending on who you talk to, some people say as many as 1,500, depending on how you interpret some verses, but over a thousand Different verses that say Jesus is coming back, and if he is coming back, he even said, I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place for you, but then I will come back for you. So if he is coming back, what are we supposed to do while we wait? Now, let me ask you a question. Should we, if you're a Christ follower and you know Jesus is coming back, should we be, and you don't have to raise your hand, but spending all of our time sitting online, arguing about who's right and who's wrong in Ferguson? Is that the best use of our time while we wait for Jesus? And I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about it. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion about it. I am saying we all need to be in prayer for that city and for those people. Because from God's perspective, every life matters. But is that the best use of our time? If I'm a Christ follower going out and banging, you know, people who don't agree with my way of thinking on that topic, or if I'm a Christ follower, is it the best use of my time while I'm waiting for Jesus? I know He's coming back. I don't know when. Is that I just sit online and bashing people who are not Christians because they don't say Merry Christmas? Now I am all for saying Merry Christmas. I'm just not going to bash someone who doesn't. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, in my mindset, help the kingdom of God, for me to bash someone who doesn't know Christ that doesn't say Merry Christmas. Now, from my personal perspective, I think we should all say it. We used to. One day, whatever. I'm just not going to waste the time arguing and bashing people who don't. The people who do, great. You know, I'm going to say it as I you know, go to stores and say Merry Christmas to people. But is that the best use of our time, creating whole online venues and campaigns of, Let's go and, you know, bash people. There's nothing wrong with encouraging people to say it. I'm talking about bashing the people who don't say it. Because that doesn't seem very God-honoring to me. Now, let me ask you this. This is the last one. Um, is, Is the best use of our time, we know Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming soon. We're waiting for him. We have no idea when. Is the best use of our time, gathering every Sunday morning to worship and celebrate him, I think that's a good thing, but then doing nothing else, The rest of the week, we don't go tell people about Jesus. We don't go to, like, Bible studies or don't go to opportunities. We don't share the gospel with people in stores or in grocery lines. And believe me, you're going to be in a lot of lines over the next couple of weeks. I mean, it's Christmas shopping. So what better opportunity? I'm not saying beat people over the head with the Bible. But if God opens the door, especially if you're wearing one of the shirts or hoodies or something, God opens the door for you to start a conversation. Yeah, let me tell you you what I know about this awesome God, what he's done for me. What he's done for me, right? I mean, so here, here let me put it this way, because this is what Titus says about it. In the book of Titus, and we're going to get to Peter, in the book of Titus, uh, Paul writes to Titus, and he says this. This is what he says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace is it for a select few. It's available to everyone. No matter what age, no matter what stage, no matter, no matter what political uh, affiliation, no matter your economic situation, no matter your uh, religious denomination, God's grace is available to everyone. In verse 12, it says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and it's a twofold thing. It's not either or, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while, I'm going to say whilst, whilst. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Very long passage to sum it up. While we wait, we need to be godly people, okay, and be self controlled, and we need to be expecting his return. It's coming. It's not something that, oh, well, never going to happen in my generation, so I'm just going to go off and do what I need to do. It's coming, and we live in a world, I mean, you don't have to look at just Ferguson, just look at any news channel for more than seven minutes, and you will see violence, hatred, hostility from one people to another, and if you, you know, if they happen to be on an international thing, hostility from one people group or nation towards another people group or nation Over and over again, we live in a world that desperately needs to know the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. So Paul writing to Titus says, we are to say no to the world and yes to living more like Christ. Now, Peter puts it another way. Uh, So if you have your Bibles out, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you uh, are looking for it, just go towards the end, past Hebrews, past James. Actually, if you go to Revelation and start going the other way, you'll probably get it quicker. But 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is his second letter, which he starts with, Dear friends, verse 1, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them, both letters, as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And this is important. Verse 2, he says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, And the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, this is pretty important because he's saying, this isn't my opinion. What I'm about to tell you has been prophesied. It's in the scriptures. It's been spoken by other prophets. And it's a command of God. So if God commands something, again, probably pretty important. And we should pay attention to it. Right? He says, first... Excuse me. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. In other words, I've been hearing you Christians talk about Jesus coming back forever. When's it going to happen? When's it coming? And don't confuse the coming of Jesus with, you know, the end of the Mayan age or any other crazy thing that's out there. But there are people who continually say, when is Jesus coming back? There are people who have continually, year after year after year, tried to put a, he's coming back this year, he's coming back this year. And I'm not going to say who because I don't want to dog any different denominations. But all these people that try to put a name on or, or a date to when he's coming back, that date has come, that date has gone. And so it's caused other people to be like, well, when is he coming back? Or is he really coming back? He says, then ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Uh, Here's the important thing. He says, but they, those people who scoff and say, where is he coming? When is this going to happen? I've been hearing about it forever. They deliberately, deliberately, intentionally forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, that, that's kind of harsh, but what he's saying is, hey, you guys are saying, when is Jesus coming back? Because God, Jesus, as God said, I'm coming back, and you're like, when is he coming back? He's saying, don't forget, don't let it escape your mind that that same word that Jesus said, I'm coming back. The same word of God was used to create the heavens and the earth. So don't doubt the word of God's capability. In other words, if you ever get to the point where you're frustrated, like when is God coming back? This world is so bad. When is it coming back? Just look up in the sky. Look down at the earth. Look at the plants and the trees. The same promised word of God that created all that is the word of God that says he will return. So we have kind of like a a living testimony of the viability of God's word. And there are times, and I don't know about you. All right, can I? I'm going to step over here for a minute and pretend I'm on a low pedestal. Have you ever been just had a really bad day? Okay. Those of you who are not raising your hands, I don't believe you at all. But if you've ever had a really, really bad day where even the thought of, oh, let me pray about it, just... I don't even want to do that. You're just frustrated, and you're just angry, and you're just, you don't know what to do. And then there is a, if you do, and I've done this, finally said, you know what, I have no other options. I have no other choice. I'm going to be stuck in a sweat. I just want to pray. I know it won't be resolved today, but I at least want the peace to go through whatever I'm going through today. And I've prayed, and God has given me peace. And the situation was still bad and it didn't get resolved today or yesterday or whatever, but at least God has given me peace about it. And if you have had God give you peace about something that you're going through, through the power of his Holy Spirit, no matter how bad that thing is, then you should be one of the people that says, I know for a fact that God is coming back. How do I know? Because I've interacted with God. I have his Holy Spirit in me, and although I don't see when, I don't know when, I can trust God. Now, for those of you who want to know, and I know you don't, but I'm going to tell you anyway, just because I have the microphone, the car problems that I was having before, um, um, kind of semi-resolved, $800 worth of res- resolution, but I was driving down, um, I think coming Ridge Road on Thursday, driving across Ridge Road, coming from, like, Claritin's side. And the light in my car went on. The little lights that come on when you open the door. I'm like, why is the light on? None of the doors are open. And I look back, and my rear driver's door, door behind, just flying open in the wind. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I was like, maybe I can just grab it and pull it close. So I grabbed it and pulled it close. The light went out, all right, and then I kept going. Light came on, I looked back, it's flapping open in the wind. Pulled over, closed the door, it wouldn't close, and I still don't know why. So I was like, maybe I'll just just go slow enough so it won't fly open. So as soon as I started out, flew open, I stopped, it flew closed just as a car went flying by. And I'm like, are you kidding me? More car problems. And this is Thanksgiving. And I'm angry and I'm frustrated. And I'm already thinking of how many hundreds of dollars it's gonna to cost to get this fixed. And I did not want to. You have anyone, again, honesty, you don't have to reach, anyone ever argue with God? Okay? Because um, immediately the thought came from God's Spirit: pray about it, Floyd. This is nothing to worry about. My immediate response, because I'm a pastor, was no, I'm mad. Didn't want to pray about it. Until As I got to the stop sign, the door was just flapping back and forth. I was like, fine. Let me just pray, God, I just need some peace about this because I I have no idea what to do and whatever and just went on about my way. But, uh, sorry, just had to get that in. But if you have God's spirit, then he is able to confirm in you his word through the power of his Holy Spirit. Totally forgot where I am. Okay, but he says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, this is important because what he's saying is, it's not that God forgot about us. It's not like God did what many of us do, walk into a room, say, I'm preparing this room for, why am I in here again? I don't remember, go back and do something else. It's not like God has totally forgotten that he's coming back for us. It's not like God is hesitant to come back for us. God is holding off on coming back for us because he doesn't want just us. He wants us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the ones that we don't like, the neighbors that we don't like, the people we ride the bus with that we can't stand or whatever. He wants all of them as well, and he's waiting for us to tell them about him. Now, uh, let me finish with this. Let me finish with this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Oh, excuse me. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He says the same thing that Paul says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, his promise to us, his promise to those who have stepped across the line and said, yeah, I want this relationship with God. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. Now let me, let me, let me put this verse, I kind of glossed over it, but this is important. Put verse 10, 11, and 12 up on the screen because this is what he says. He says, but that day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And some of us are probably thinking that's kind of harsh. If you're like me, you're thinking, wow, that's pretty cool that God can just do that and destroy everything. But he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, and here's the question, what kind of people ought you to be? If you're a person who wants this relationship with God uh, and you want to spend eternity with him and you want when he comes back, yeah, I want to go with him. If you're one of the people who says, I want to know that I can spend an eternity with God. Then there's another step you have to take at first crossing a stepping across the line of faith to enter into relationship with him. If you're a person that's I'm already in this relationship with him, I'm just kind of waiting, 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 waiting. Anyone ever been at the bus stop and it's like way past when it's supposed to arrive? And you're just like waiting and you're in that place, contemplating: do I continue waiting or do I take another path? Do I go home? Do I call a ride? Do I call in sick and go shopping, whatever the course is? But you're in that place of I've got a decision to make. And this is what he's, this is the person that he's addressing. He says, if you're in that place, you have this relationship with God. While we're waiting for his return, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. This is crucial because he says you ought to live holy and godly lives, like live your life for Christ. And you ought to look forward to the day of God, like add that to your things that you are looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the weekend. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to New Year, 2015. I'm looking forward to technological advances. I'm looking forward to lots of brickle over the next couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to the return of Christ, praying and hoping that it comes soon. Now, here's, here's, here's what I do. Let me close with this, all right? Whilst we wait, practical things that we can do. First, add a little more Jesus into your Christmas celebration. And some of you may have been, you know, back in the day when people used to go house to house and people would Christmas carol and people would do all kind of stuff and they would literally read the Christmas story and talk about the birth of Christ. And I shouldn't say this because it's not the thing you expect to hear in church, but I was listening to... any. uh, Listen to a comedian who was talking about, and he's not a Christian comedian by any means, but he was talking about um, Christmas season. And he's, he is not a Christian. He said, I don't know Jesus, but it seems like we have materialized the whole season that's supposed to be dedicated to Jesus. And he even said, he said, I don't know him, but to me, Jesus seems like the least materialistic person that ever walked the earth but we've made his season the season of celebrating the birth of Christ as materialistic as you can get and for us I think that this Christmas season if you haven't done so with your kids or your grandkids or whoever spend some time telling them what we're celebrating add a little more Jesus into your Christmas season. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to get gifts because everyone wants to get gifts and all that stuff, but man, throw some Jesus in there. Don't let them just run up, grab stuff under the tree without knowing what they're celebrating, without knowing that the greatest gift that we have ever received was God in the flesh. So the other thing that you can do whilst we're waiting is look forward to his return. Every now and then, Just ask yourself this simple question. I wonder when Jesus is coming back for me. I wonder. Now, if you've ever been, anyone ever been on a date where you've been stood up? See, I didn't expect any woman to raise their hand at all because they're like, no one's going to stand me up. But all the guys, we would have raised our hand, but we were embarrassed because we know we've all been stood up. But if you've ever been stood up, you've been sitting there. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're like, I wonder, when is this person showing up? And you can begin to get the thought that maybe there's something wrong with me is why they're not coming. And if that has ever crossed your mind, let me share this with you. God loves you so much. There is not. First of all, let me rephrase that. There is something wrong with all of us. It is called sin. Every person on the planet. And it is what keeps us separated from God. But he loved us so much that he said instead of relying on us to deal with the sin problem, he would deal with it himself and remove anything and everything that separates us from him. So if you ever think he's not coming back or maybe there's something wrong with me, and I hear people all the time that say, well, uh, my brother, uh, before he passed away, he used to say, this, well, I could never go to church. If I walked into church, I've done so many things wrong that, you know, the building would explode. God would just, like, kill me with lightning because I've, I've just done too much wrong. And I told him time and time again, you don't get it. But God already knows that. And he has done so much right to wipe all of that away if all you're willing to do is say, yeah, I believe that. So um, look forward to his return. And finally, this this is important because I don't know if you caught that. Peter said that we can hasten the return of Christ. We can speed it up. If the only thing that is keeping Jesus from coming back is he's being patient and he's waiting for more people to come to know him, then we should tell more people that they can get to know God. And he said, you can speed or hasten the return of Christ. And this is over the Christmas season. You're going to be in a lot of lines. You're going to be in a lot of stores. You're going to be in a lot of places. You're going to be with a lot of families. Some of them do know Christ. Some of them don't. Take the opportunity. And even if you have to throw it out at random, don't make a big deal out of it. But just say, hey, I just wanted to ask you, do you know how much God loves you? And if they say no and they're still listening, share the gospel. They say, no, but I don't care, and they walk away. Hey, don't, don't force it on them. Don't beat it on them. But here's the thing that we have to consider. If Christ comes back tomorrow, many of us have neighbors and family and friend and coworkers that won't get to spend an eternity with him. And I don't know about you, but if the only reason that happens is because I didn't tell them about it, I'm going to feel really bad. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask us to uh, spend a moment in just praising God. Then I want to spend the time in in prayer and just sing another song or two before we close out. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the band to come up. So I just want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. God, we thank you so much that you did love us enough. That you loved us enough to to not just ask us to be in a relationship with you, but to remove anything and everything that would stop us from being in a relationship with you. And God, we, we give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to be born in the flesh and to live a sinless life and then for him to take on all of our sins, all of our iniquity, all of the wrongdoing and things we do that separate us from you, he took upon himself. And God, we thank you that you put us in the place of now being able to be in relationship with you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who who maybe is not in that relationship, that you would speak to their hearts, that they wouldn't look to hear what I'm saying right now, but they would open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to hear you speaking to them, inviting them to be in a relationship with you, to step across the line of faith. And God, for those of us that have stepped across the line of faith and that say we, we desperately Eagerly anticipate and wait your return, God. We want to celebrate you this morning. We want to lift our voices in song. We want to rejoice that we have a God that reigns on high, that didn't forget about us, that that isn't off doing something else, unaware of the pain and the struggle that we go through on earth, but knows every issue, every hardship,